Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Jack English and this is City Hall Stories. These are conversations with local government leaders who are imagining, designing and creating our future societies. Aspirational governance is the most effective way to build a healthier future. And this podcast is built to be a source of inspiration for anyone who looks out their window and says, let's do better. I hope the incredible humans you'll hear from deliver that inspiration. In local government, it's easy to forget that residents don't really care where one district ends and another begins. At the end of the day, they want cohesion and efficiency in the services they utilise. That's why Smart Dublin exists. It's a joint programme between four councils, led by our guest today, Alan Murphy, with the goal of implementing systemic improvements across the entire region, rather than the more common piecemeal approach. Coordinating this brings many challenges, but also many benefits, and today Alan and I discuss the projects his team is involved in, like mobility as a service and 5G rollout, what makes a good private sector partner for government, and the early signs you can use to determine if a project is going to take off or fall flat. Please enjoy my conversation with Alan Murphy. Alan, great to have you on the show to chat about one of the more unique endeavors I'm familiar with in the smart government movement. But before even getting onto your work at Dublin, as the first Irish guest, have to ask, can you give us a quick primer on Irish local government, how it's structured, who the big players are and everything else? Yeah, hi, Jack. Thanks for having me join your podcast series. So, yeah, local government in in Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, uh, to be specific, we have 26 counties, 31 local authorities uh, or or councils. So in some of the counties, we we have major cities like Dublin, Cork uh, and Galway, and there would be a city administration as well as a county administration. So that's why we have 26 counties and 31 local authorities and they all administer their respective geographical area. There is an overarching body called the LGMA, the Local Government Management Agency, which is like a supporting body that brings all those 31 local authorities together. And then I suppose at at the top of that kind of hierarchy, there's another organization body called uh, the CCMA, County and City Management Association, which is made up of primarily the chief executives of those 31 local authorities. So that's the local government structure and layer, and they liaise very closely with central government, which is your Department of Transport, your Department of Agriculture, your Department of Health, and so on. Awesome. Honing on your background specifically, we don't see a ton of crossover from the big four accounting firms into local government, even in the municipal finance space. Can you share your experience at PricewaterhouseCooper and any operational lessons you've brought to the private sector, any lingering habits you had to curtail? Sure, yeah. Um, maybe maybe I could broaden that a little bit. My background, I, I did a lot of IT consulting over the years, doing large-scale software implementation projects using SAP software, so implementing ERP systems to be specific. And I worked for a variety of consulting companies uh, to do that. So all of that work involved using new technology to help businesses run their business better. And I worked in a variety of industries. I suppose over the years and having done so many of those kinds of projects, what I am bringing, I think, I hope, if that's what my my colleagues would say, what I'm bringing to the table here in terms of now working in local government is sort of looking beyond what the technology can do and understanding, okay, what are the objectives of what we're trying to achieve here? What what are the pain points? What's the end game? How do we get buy-in from multiple stakeholders to deliver a particular project. So that more rounded approach to a successful project delivery, I, I think is what I'm bringing to the, the local government sector. 
But let's dig in on actually what you are doing. Please lay out the work your office does, how it's structured, and yeah, the other pertinent information. Sure, yeah. Okay, so I work with Smart Dublin. So it, that is a regional collaboration of the four municipalities in the Dublin County. So they got together back in 2016 and said, look, we're conscious of all this buzz around smart cities and all this emerging tech in the IoT space and the big data space and digital twins and so on. What's it all about? You know, how are we going to figure all this out? So rather than trying to do it individually, they came together together under this Smart Dublin umbrella and created the Smart Dublin program. Our remit is to evaluate emerging technology that promises to address urban challenges and urban challenges with regard to mobility, energy efficiency, citizen engagement, waste management, and trial those solutions with a view to hopefully successful trials and then adopting that technology into business as usual. So the breadth of our program and the breadth of the projects we do reflects the breadth of the services that a council would do in the Dublin region. That's kind of a quick summary of what we do. So is the goal to build these permanent smart elements into the existing kind of management directorates of these councils for them to personally own and maintain over time? Or is it to actually keep these, let's call them solutions, whatever they might be, within the smart Dublin framework umbrella to ensure the efficacy of them over time? We see ourselves very much in the innovation side of the house uh, and we will do all the heavy lifting to line up the right stakeholders to make a project happen, to work with internal service owners within a council department to say, hey, look, here's an opportunity maybe to do the service a bit differently, to, to glean better insight from the real life environment, to deliver your existing service in a leaner way, whatever the the elevator pitch is for that particular uh, project. But then the hope is, and happy path here, is that that innovation or that that pilot will ultimately go into business as usual. So we hand that solution over to a service owner. But but what's really key is that the service owner is involved and co-designing with us during the pilot phase. So they, they feel that they're working with us and understanding what the technology can do and, and also, as importantly, can't do because some of this stuff is promising the world, so that they're comfortable then upon that kind of checkpoint at the end of the innovation phase that, okay, I understand what this does. I'm comfortable to trial 20 sensors of this thing for this use case. I now I'm prepared to procure a thousand of, of these sensors to truly embrace the technology. And what can also happen is some of our projects don't follow that classic happy path but what it might do is we we trial solutions with different suppliers and the service owner is just so much wiser as to what he might put in a in a upcoming tender so he may not procure the solutions that we've trialed but he's now going to the market with a far more savvy outlook as how the market could add value back into his tender process i think to, to, to your question primarily we want to see our projects move from innovation into business as usual as much as possible is there any correlation between the success of a project and whether or not the project is generated or begins on the smart team or whether it's begun by a directorate or a manager at an existing council who then come to you for some, I guess, technical expertise and sponsorship? 
That's a that's a that's a killer question, Jack. Yeah, uh, and and actually we're at a, we're at a point that we're we're reflecting on the the breadth of our project portfolio, and it can be overwhelming sometimes, to be honest, because when it comes to innovation, it's hard to say no. Yeah, you have to kind of kiss a lot of frogs to find your prince. But for sure, when if a service owner who's proactive and is really motivated look just when he's got that that itch to say gosh there's got to be a better way of doing or executing a particular service if they come to us yeah i mean that 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 really helps project momentum and and making stuff work as opposed to the opposite where if we're going to a service owner and saying hey have a look at this with us you know all these guys are extremely busy trying to run a city trying to run a county to keep the lights on so if a project is going to happen they're going to have to release resources and their own time to to such a project so if they're coming to us they've already kind of made that decision so i yeah i i think when they come to us the success rate is higher so holding on the the topic of kissing frogs why do most smart projects fail is it because they don't address a very specific problem are there technical shortcomings often is it simply often a personnel issue where there's just a lot of institutional inertia yeah it, it, it's a la your critical success factors in any sort of business transformation space or technology enabled transformation all, all those those buzz words disrupting a business model if you look at those kind of classic critical success factors usually the top one is people is buy-in executive sponsorship so if there isn't that buy-in from the the right stakeholders to to make a project happen then it, it it's not going to progress sometimes the technology doesn't do what it promises on the tin and it doesn't work out or by trialing the technology you realize that there's related business as usual processes or activities that are affected and <laughs> could be political in nature and it, it's just a people just don't want to go there to grapple that particular political topic as well. But I, I, I definitely go back to saying that it's, it's down to people that, that, that really drive the projects. So I'm personally interested in the answer to this question, working in the GovTech space. What makes a good private sector partner? Are there any common denominators between private sector partners that you have found are pivotal to your success? Yeah, so on our on our projects, we work with multiple actors. So we've touched on the internal stakeholders and get their buy-in. Externally, we work with service providers and they come in all shapes and, and forms and sizes. It could be small tech providers as well as, as big tech providers. Maybe to zoom in on, on, on the big tech providers. So these are big brand names that you'll be familiar with that have sometimes a, a presence in Ireland already. What really works for us is, is when we get a sense of those big tech companies choosing Dublin as a strategic location to trial one of their cutting edge solutions. So again, ticking the innovation box and we get a sense that they've chosen Dublin for whatever reason and they really want to work with us. So they're not doing the same kind of project in multiple cities and therefore their own team getting dragged around the world potentially but we get a sense of okay they want to trial a solution in Dublin obviously with the view to getting a reference city and then going on to other cities which is absolutely fine but if we get a sense that for a, for a time they're focused in on us we're working with them that really helps drive a successful project with the the larger technology companies yeah so councils and cities have been trying to improve their service delivery essentially since inception just like businesses have what differentiates the 
novo smart conception with traditional business process improvement? Is it just about including data and technology into the recipe or is there something more? Yeah, for, for me, it's, it's a little bit of both. And you could describe the smart city scope as activities outside the boundary of the organization. So your traditional digital transformation or business process improvement activities might have been more in-house. So CRM systems, we talked about ERP systems before, you know, GIS systems, the smart city space and this is one way to look at it, is going beyond the organization and tapping into new new points that could feed the business process. So putting sensors out on into the, the real life environment is gathering data that will deliver insight to allow the council make decisions on a whole bunch of stuff. To take that a step further, we're starting to see a lot of citizen sensing projects that also feed into a business process that you redefine slightly because the business process is now extended beyond the organization. But citizen sensing is is where citizens actively are providing information to that business process. So I give you a couple of examples on our project portfolio. We released uh, an app which is called uh, the Dublin Rough Sleeper Alert app, which is an app citizens can download and they can alert our outreach team who go around the city center engaging with homeless people to try to get them into shelters for the night. So this app allows citizens to drop a pin as to the location of a rough sleeper they see, and that enables our outreach team to get to that person quicker. So it's just better information to an existing process to ultimately help a homeless person. Another project on our portfolio is providing traffic counting sensors to residents. So small little sensors that residents can put up on their sitting room window or bedroom window, and it just counts traffic and pedestrians and cyclists going by in their street. Why is that interesting? It, it, it provides a baseline of traffic volumes on a streetscape where that streetscape possibly is up for discussion to introduce new cycling infrastructure or a, a one-way route or something. So having that kind of data gathered via citizens being actively part of, of that sort of consultation process is, is really powerful and it breaks and it provides the data to offset any, any perception as to what the traffic volume is on a particular streetscape. So really like the whole citizen sensing stuff <clears throat> because citizens can touch and relate to the use cases uh, that, that we're doing. And it's a really great example of new data points and new actors feeding into the traditional business process. As a manager, and I'm not a manager myself, so please kick me if I'm wrong, but I often hear that one of the biggest challenges is simply people hiring recruitment. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about the team that you're working with that you've built out? What kind of background your employees have? Are they coming from the private sector? Are they Were they previously at councils? And just and more in general, what type of employee is best cut out for this type of smart work? Yeah, okay. Gosh, uh, talent. It's an interesting topic, especially in Dublin. You know, I, I touched on it earlier. We, we've a lot of technology, well-known brands in Dublin that are competing for the smart people that are coming out of our universities. That's really tough competition for us. The kind of people we'd have in our team, you know, they're project managers, business analysts, data analysts, and we get the, the subject matter expertise typically from the service owners that we deal with from the relevant department. What we're starting to see is a big shift, and actually maybe COVID has, has kind of helped with this. A lot of people are sort of questioning, what's it all about, you know? 
the job I'm doing, is it meaningful? Is it satisfying? Is it what I want to do? If you're going to spend all your energy from Monday to Friday doing something, ideally it should be something that you're really passionate about. So for sure, with the whole climate change agenda, there's a wave of people, younger people, as well as people sort of at the tail end of their careers that want to kind of get into a space where they can make a difference. And I firmly believe that the smart city space gives you that that there's a lot of social impact here of doing technology projects. So if you have any sort of a qualification or background in, in IT kind of project, plus you want to combine that with an end game of social impact, then I think the smart city space is for you, yeah. Going back to more of the technology side, how are you able to be strategic when I guess a lot of your work can be dictated by the whims of technology and innovation in general? Are there guiding principles documents that your office goes by or is decision making a little bit more ad hoc based on the technological environment of the day? We can only work with the technology as it is and in terms of maturity who knows what might be available to cities around the world in in 10 years time in terms of technology. When when we're doing projects and and evaluating emerging technology if it addresses a an urban challenge in a meaningful way and it works it's tried and tested in a robust way out in the real life environment that then we run with it we can procure that solution on on mass so suppose to your question we are limited to what the technology can do but that you do go through a pretty robust evaluation process to make sure that it it does what it's promising to do and there's a lot of checkpoints on the way to make sure that okay if we're going to move this into business as usual let's let's make sure it works 5G and mobility as a service, both massive topics, ones we could talk about for entire podcasts themselves. I want to present them to you and offer essentially either one to chat about, maybe both, and really how they're involved in your work at Dublin. Yeah, okay. So uh, I'll, I'll touch on both. And, and as you said, both, we could spend an hour on each of them. So 5G, it's all about improved connectivity for for use cases probably yet to be identified. You'll see the, the marketing and advertising by the, the telco operators that are trying to promote the 5G stuff, which, which is great. But we, I think we've yet to see the use cases completely unfold as to what 5G will enable. The role of the councils in all of 5G, and certainly what we're looking at here locally, is how can we unlock the public realm to allow 5G get rolled out? What we don't want, certainly in Dublin and Ireland, is all of the telecommunications operators installing their own proprietary kit on street assets. So you just get street clutter and it's um, aesthetically it looks terrible. So we're trying to streamline that whole process, provide a sort of a, a one-stop shop to the market in terms of, okay, if you're part of the 5G rollout, come to this unit, we will cover A to Z, all the, the different aspects of the installation that you're proposing, etc. So that's kind of where we're at, where the council will be the enabler of, of the 5G infrastructure. But because it's using council assets, it's got to be done in a coordinated way. Mobility as a service, mass, yeah, we've been looking at this now for some time. It comes in different shapes and forms. Top of the hype curve, I think a couple of years back, has it delivered globally? Not yet. I think people can you, are still... Sorry, Alan, can you actually just yeah. give a little definition of what it is? So for people that aren't familiar? Oh, uh, mass. Gosh, there's so many definitions out there. It is a pretty, yeah, it's <laughs> that, an unwieldy and, and one. <laughs> yeah, and that sometimes is a problem. Uh, I, I'll go with uh, an IT analogy. In, in the IT world, we've got hardware. You've got laptops and desktops that you... We can all touch and feel. In the transport space, hardware is buses, trains, trams, 
bike sharing schemes, scooters. It's stuff you can touch and feel and use. And it's also infrastructure. It's bus stations. It's it's uh, cycle paths. So think of all that world that is is old and well known and it's all in the shared mobility space as the kind of hardware element of mass and what mass introduces is the the software layer on top of the hardware software you're talking about apps and data and user experience and tailored user experience so if jack wants to go from a to b and it might involve changing one mode of transport to the other Jack can plan his journey. It's seamless. The information, the right information is presented to the right person at the right time across a variety of modes of transport that Jack is comfortable to use. The information that's presented to you encourages you to use a sustainable mode of transport as opposed to hopping in your private car. That's the key thing behind mass for certainly for Ireland is that we want to use mass as a way to promote sustainable and shared mobility to address our, 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 our climate change targets and not just leave it to the markets to promote their own individual services. Mass is that kind of software integration piece, better services seamless from a journey planning and a payment uh, and execution perspective on top of the hardware element, which is the transport services themselves. Based on your description, I think Jack would be pretty interested in a service like that. What are actually the main challenges? I mean, it sounds like an incredibly complex network of, as you mentioned, payment systems and hardware and infrastructure. What are some of those early challenges that you guys are facing? What needs to be overcome to actually make this a reality? I think the first hurdle is probably a bit of awareness and education as to what mass is and what it isn't. That there's something like the early iterations of mass. Now, when you look to the likes of Helsinki and places like that, it was mainly led by the market. So, so new mass aggregators saw a market opportunity. They, they came up with things like subscription models where you could have a monthly pass or a yearly pass across multiple modes of transport and that kind of all-you-can-eat transport kind of idea. I think to establish that situation or model first, as in the first building block of introducing mass into Ireland, is trying to probably tackle the most complex part of the potential of mass at the outset. The way we'd like to go about it is, okay, we know that that situation might happen at some stage. Let's just avoid that for the moment or not get everybody looking at the most complex permutation just yet. Let's create a foundation or a platform of of getting people collaborating and engaging into a mass ecosystem first, then to unlock innovation and bundling of services according to um, their, their commercial objectives. So what does that mean? Okay, so what we're leaning to in mass, and this is something that's kind of out there in the public domain, is a public-led back-end uh, model where public authorities, including the councils, would oversee this kind of data and service marketplace or exchange or hub. So we get all the actors that are providing relevant data and relevant services into this mobility hub. And once you have all those actors and services and data in this kind of engine room, your apps and your bundles and your the potential around services that could be presented back to a jack or an end user start to get unlocked. What we'd love to do is the societal goals that Ireland is trying to achieve to get people away from their private car. That objective, those societal goals, can dictate how that new engine room works, can dictate how 
information is presented to the end user, how how the apps, the information that the apps uh, contain and, and the kind of the policy around user experience and so on, and maybe even financial incentives to persuade people to, to move towards shared mobility. So that's where we're coming from, is to avoid a very complex situation around payment and settlements and subscription models on day one. But we know it's maybe coming down the line, but let's get the foundation right first. And you can answer this from a, a local government perspective or, or really just in general. Looking forward, what most excites you about the world in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? In terms of exciting opportunities, to touch on the energy sector for a bit, Ireland, as well as so many other <clears throat> countries, is trying to get as much renewables onto their grid as much as possible. So I think what's happening in Ireland and, and the investments that we're doing in wind turbines is just amazing. Currently, I think it's about 40% of our energy consumption, electricity consumption, is is coming from renewables. On a good day, when the wind blows, it can get up to 70%. So we're really making strides there. And I think over the next five, 10 years, more and more renewables will be getting onto the grid. We're rolling out smart meters nationally. So consumers will be a bit more switched on, you know, looking after their electricity and and gas consumption. There's gas meters also going out as well as electricity meters. I think as a, as a country, we'll be far more aware of energy consumption and in the back office, if you like, the likes of uh, AirGrid and ESP networks will be getting more renewable energy onto our grid for us to consume greener energy. So that's a really exciting space. Awesome. On City Hall Stories, we have a traditional closing question. Pretty simple. What's one accepted truth of local government that you think is incorrect? Gosh, yeah. I think uh, <laughs> this might be a controversial statement. In Ireland, sometimes the, the, the public sector gets labelled you know, as a, as a sector that's a cushy number, job for life, little accountability, all that stuff. However, I... I, I uh, maybe a low, <coughs> a low stressful situation, but I, I've I've seen the complete opposite. You know what, what the work the councils do and the breadth of services slash business processes that they oversee is real frontline stuff. It is keeping the lights on in Dublin. It's keeping the lights on in in Cork, as in making those geographies and cities run as efficiently as possible. Working with other. Uh, public bodies as well but the, the remit of the councils is extensive so I, what i've seen after joining local government about three years ago is people are extremely busy they're people really passionate about what they do you know that the social impact of their work is, is very real you read about it in the news all the time and usually it's the headlines might be if something goes wrong but 90 percent, 95 percent of the time that the services are being well run and the people that are running them really care about what they do. So I think that's uh, that's the reality of, of local government. And now that I'm in it, I, I can see it. And I'm telling anybody else who, who, who has this uh, old school perception of local government, I'm telling them what I'm experiencing. And I think it's been a fascinating place to work in. I think that's probably the the most common response. And I can certainly attest to it watching you guys day in, day out working, that it is an incredibly arduous uh, it's a labor of love from a professional perspective i really enjoyed hearing about the work you're doing in dublin and most importantly the concrete results actually flowing through to your citizens i hope everyone checks out the projects you guys are undertaking and thank you so much for your time pleasure jack thank you it's me again thanks for listening if you enjoyed it leave a rating on apple podcasts and connect with me on linkedin see you soon